0: Welcome to series two of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcast. I'm Leslie Goodburn and I decided to develop the podcasts after the death of my husband Seth from pancreatic cancer. I wanted to help others understand the disease, its impact, the work that goes on every day to find treatments and hopefully one day a cure. Throughout the series you'll be accompanied by me and my friend Charlotte Foster from Charlotte Foster Productions and we'll talk all about the aspects of the disease, from biology to emotional and physical impact. Along the way, we'll meet patients, families, doctors, nurses, oncologists, researchers, lots of different people with varied and different interesting experiences of the disease. The podcast will be frank about the reality of the disease. They will show the commitment and dedication of people working to support a breakthrough In a cancer where survival rates have barely changed in the last 50 years, but they will also focus on the love, the community of support, and personal stories of those whose lives are affected. So join us on our second journey of discovery via the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts, made in memory of Seth Goodburn.
1: Welcome to this episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. Now, we're going to be talking about the NICE guidelines for pancreatic cancer. Now, stop. Stop right now, because I can see you're already hovering over the pause button, the next podcast button, and maybe your eyes are glazing over a little bit as well. But actually, just take a moment and think, how many times have you heard people talk about NICE guidelines? and just nodded along. You think you know what they are, you think you know what they mean, but do you? Well, I've been speaking to Anna Jewell. She is the Director of Services, Research and Influencing at Pancreatic Cancer UK. I began by asking her about the NICE guidelines and why they are so important.
2: Well, the NICE guidelines are produced by the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence. Um they produce guidelines on a wide variety of health conditions and really set out the kind of best standard of treatment and care that should be available for anyone diagnosed with a particular condition. So it really helps you be able to say this is the highest standard of quality care that someone should expect to receive. And it's based on really sound evidence. So we were really pleased to have a set of guidance uh, produced for pancreatic cancer. We're one of the last common cancers to have a set of guidelines produced by NICE. So this is something that we campaigned and called for as a charity because we helped, hoped really that we can use these guidelines to let patients know what care they should expect to receive but also so we can help campaign to make sure they get that standard of care.
1: Why do you think it was took so long when you were one the, it was one of the last cancers to get those guidelines?
2: I mean unfortunately um, you know we've seen as a charity that pancreatic cancer has sort of suffered a legacy of neglect in in a wide variety of where areas from research funding to um, you know. To, to research breakthroughs and prioritisation. And I think it might be felt that there wasn't a huge amount of evidence to draw from for pancreatic cancer. And therefore, I think potentially it was sort of deprioritized. And I think we were calling for the fact that there were some new trials that have come through, some new evidence, and it now was time to produce these guidelines.
1: What happens then to get these guidelines? What kind of process is there? What
2: involvement did you have? So the process for NICE is they set out... Um, They pull together a committee um, and that will be made up of um, clinicians that work in the field of pancreatic cancer and then lay members. So either people directly affected by the condition, either diagnosed with it or a family member or a patient organisation. They then have a team at NICE that are commissioned to work with that committee on the guidelines. And you, you kind of set out a series of key questions that you want to answer about different aspects of care. And the committee and the team at NICE will go away and and kind of research all the best, highest quality evidence they can find about that kind of question that you want to answer or look at or the area of care you want to look at. And then the committee will look at all the evidence that comes back and use that evidence to make a recommendation. So, for example, you know, your question might be, what is the best type of chemotherapy to give to someone with inoperable pancreatic cancer? And the committee will look at all the best available evidence and all the trials available on that and then come out with a a set of recommendations about what chemotherapy should be given and potentially whether it should be different types maybe should be given to different groups. Um, And so when you start the process, you're really looking at what are the key questions that maybe where there's some uncertainty over the best sort of treatment and care and and which are the key questions to answer for that condition, for that disease, for pancreatic cancer.
1: You were a a lay member on the pancreatic cancer NICE guidelines committee. What, what, What did that involve? What did that entail?
2: So as a lay member of the committee, what you're there to do is is bring the perspective really of people affected by pancreatic cancer to the the development of the guidelines. Um, You know, my role was, you know, I'm not someone that's been personally affected, but I'd worked at the charity uh, Pancreatic Cancer UK for around six, seven years at the time we were producing the guidelines, helping to set up our services and hearing a huge amount from patients affected by pancreatic cancer about what their concerns were. So my role as a lay member was to make sure firstly that the guidelines would cover issues and areas that were really critical to patients and families. So for example, sometimes some of the more supportive care elements can be forgotten. So it was really to push to make sure that issues such as psychological care, management of dietary uh, issues and problems were included in the guidelines. But also I think to make sure that when we were making recommendations that those recommendations kept at their heart, at their focus, a view of what those recommendations will actually mean to patients uh, or their family members that we were making, and I, I guess you know sometimes you might have a recommendation that's about a particular way that a treatment is given, or is one treatment better than another. And sometimes it's important, maybe from the patient perspective or the patient organisation perspective, to say, well, does the way that treatment is given uh, have any impact on the patient and their life? So it might be that they have to travel further for that treatment, or it might be that they have to go. Um, you know, to hospital more regularly to have an intravenous infusion and the alternative might be a tablet. Um, I'm not saying we have this particular example in pancreatic cancer, but it's kind of bringing to life those issues. What would the difference that that change in how a treatment is delivered might make to a patient or their family member? And as I say, those really important issues of how you manage sort of symptoms and quality of life issues can be something that we can really help make sure is thought about throughout the guideline process
1: lots of important issues as you mentioned but what would you say were the the most important issues or the most important aspects of
2: this guidance? Um, I mean I think a lot of it is hugely important um, you know as a patient organisation we're really keen to ensure that um, we feel like sometimes that there can be some nihilism around the disease in terms of how it's treated and cared for so I think we're really keen that patients will all be reviewed through a specialist um, It's called a specialist HPB MDT multidisciplinary team. So a specialist group of clinicians making decisions about the treatment and care that would be available. And we think that would help raise the standard of care. So we're very keen to see that included in the guidelines. Um, We were very keen to see issues such as more clarification on the type of chemotherapy that should be given, um, how many rounds of chemotherapy But then huge issues for us were the questions we looked at around um, the dietary support that should be available for people with pancreatic cancer. So the importance of enzyme replacement therapy being available, because as I say, we run a helpline, a support line here at Pancreatic Cancer UK, and we hear daily about issues with people getting access to enzyme replacement therapy, which can be so important in helping people manage the dietary symptoms of pancreatic cancer and not become malnourished, and be able to maintain a better quality of life and to better tolerate treatment. But also, I think for us, what was really important is we we, we and the other lay members felt quite strongly about the importance of looking at the psychological impact that pancreatic cancer has on the individual and making sure that we're making recommendations about assessing people for their psychological and other supportive care needs regularly throughout the pathway. Um, I think what was unfortunate is that there, isn't, there is quite a lack of evidence, uh, research evidence around pancreatic cancer. So there wasn't enough evidence around psychological care for us to be able to say, um, you know, this is absolutely the sort of intervention that, or treatment that people should receive if they're experiencing psych- problems were related to their psychological well-being, emotional well-being. But we were able at least to highlight that people should be looking at whether people did have you know, are experiencing problems with their emotional or psychological well-being. And I think that's really crucial for pancreatic cancer.
1: So all this hard work has been done. You've got the guidelines in place. How do you now make sure that those guidelines are are being followed?
2: I mean, that is quite a, a challenge and I, it's something that um, we're trying to tackle in a number of ways at, at the charity. So first of all, we've, we think it's important that we kind of... Um, Empower those affected by the disease. So NICE to do produce a set of lay summary um, on pancreatic cancer guidelines, but it was quite short, didn't really go into detail on all of the recommendations. So our information team here at the charity have produced a kind of more, um, I guess, patient family member friendly version of the recommendations to mean that uh, people can be empowered, I guess, to see the care they should be expecting and then can talk to their clinicians and those involved in their care about the guidelines. And I think, you know, that's really important because perhaps if their care is varying from what they see in the guidelines, they're then able to ask questions around that to make sure they really are getting the best quality care that they could. We are also um, working very hard, I guess, to make sure that through NHS England, through the way that the Specialist Centres for Pancreatic Cancer are commissioned, um, which is through uh, NHS England Body itself, that we make sure in the guidance that they give out, give out to those centres that they include their measures that relate to the recommendations made in the NICE guidelines. Uh, we also are trying to raise awareness to our training and events uh, that we provide for healthcare professionals about what the guidance say and the needs to, to implement the guidelines. Um, and talking to NHS England again about other ways we can make sure that. Um, we're monitoring the use of these guidelines and the implementation of them. I think one thing that we'd like to see in pancreatic cancer that we don't have is um, some form of national audit where we'd be looking at the care and treatment that's available and how it might vary across the country. This is something we've been calling for as an organisation, but we're yet to see that in place at a national level. Um, I think you know that's something we'll continue to call for. And we will look as a charity about, you know, if we can't get a national audit, is there some way that we can do some measurement ourselves uh, with hospitals involved in the treatment and care of pancreatic cancer to look at whether they're meeting the the guidelines. Local commissioners of those services as well, the the clinical commissioning groups also have a role in making sure that if they're commissioning services, that they are in line with the NICE standards.
1: Now, what kind of role do the Cancer Alliances play in the implementation of the guidance? And for people that Don't know, could you just explain a little bit about the Cancer Alliances as well, please?
2: Yeah, so Cancer Alliances are kind of networks that have been brought together across regions of the UK. um, And they involve um, the different hospitals that are delivering cancer care, the different commissioners that are delivering cancer care. And they're really doing work um, to look at ways that cancer care can be delivered within their, improved within their region and the delivery improves. So monitoring of the delivery Looking at the impact it's having on outcomes and survival and then and then potentially putting in place um initiatives that can help drive improvements in care. One thing that we have seen um, as a charity is the development of what are called kind of optimal pathways, national optimal pathways for other diseases like lung cancer, uh, which really set out again the kind of the best standard pathway that people should go through for their treatment and care. And so we're encouraging um sort of talking to cancer alliances and teams involved in the treatment of pancreatic cancer to think about whether we could develop an optimal pathway for pancreatic cancer and get that implemented. And again, that optimal pathway could very much be built upon the recommendations and the NICE guideline. So that's some of the ways that the cancer alliances could then work with their local healthcare teams to improve the pathway within their local area and see the guidelines implemented. And I would say also that um, th- there's another role for Sort of patient, those affected by the disease those diagnosed and their families within that and that you are able to get involved with your local cancer alliance they have a uh, user involvement groups they have sort of open meetings and i think you know so if locally you're interested in helping to shape how pancreatic cancer care is delivered you can get involved in that and we're always willing to support people in that activity at pancreatic cancer uk
1: that sounds fantastic is this a case of people getting in touch with you guys to find out more about that then
2: yeah, absolutely. We'd be very happy to talk to people if they are interested in sort of influencing the quality of care in their local area and using their experiencing and their voice to shape improvements, because that can be incredibly powerful for those at a local level to really hear from the patients that they, they treat and care for. And that's essentially
1: what a lot of this is all about. It's making sure people's voices are heard and experiences are understood and either repeated if they've been a good experience or not repeated if they haven't been so good, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's so crucial when we look at the way that health and care is delivered and how we want to shape and drive improvements. It needs to be really driven by those diagnosed, by those affected by a condition like pancreatic cancer, because they really know what it's like to live with that condition that disease on a day-to-day basis, what it's like to experience those care services and can really provide some really useful insights and intelligence around the ways that those services could be improved, both to, I think, impact on their outcomes, but also to ensure that people can maintain a good quality of life and have a good experiences experience of using the health service as well.
1: Now, I'm not going to let you get away
2: without uh, talking about the award
1: you've recently <laughs> won. Are you going to explain to everyone what this is, please?
2: Yes, yes. We were really delighted earlier this year to win what's called a NICE Shared Learning Award, um, uh, which is in recognition of some work that we've done at Pancreatic Cancer UK to showcase a piece of work that we'd funded through uh, that was carried out at the Universal, University Hospitals Birmingham by uh, Mr Keith Roberts, the surgeon there. So this was really um, his work, which was looking at how you could try and uh, fast track people into surgery, without the need for them to have a procedure called biliary stenting, which can help reduce jaundice, which is a common symptom of pancreatic cancer. And his work had really shown that you could reduce hugely the amount of time that it took for people to have their diagnosis given and then go for surgery, which could help make sure that people were able to remain well enough to have surgery. And also hopefully that it could have a benefit on outcomes from surgery as well. They were still waiting for that data. So we had pulled together work to showcase that that practice in Birmingham, that good practice, and to share it really widely through some of our campaigning activity, through our Demand faster treatment campaign, uh, through our work with Cancer Alliances. And this recommendation around going straight to surgery without having biliary stenting was one of the recommendations within the NICE guidelines. So NICE were recognising our contribution, I guess, to uh, helping the implementation of that guideline. So That was a piece of work done by the Politan Campaigns team here at Pancreatic Cancer UK, particularly led by Georgia Papakou Hulu. Um, And uh, yeah, we were really, really delighted to win that award.
1: Well, congratulations once again to Anna and the team for that fantastic award. I must also say thank you to Linda Holdridge, who has sponsored this episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. Now, remember, if you want to help out with some sponsorship of the podcast or indeed want to find out more, um, you can go online. You can go to the Purple Rainbow website page and all the information is there. In the meantime, we'll see you next time.